Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Tadeus Ropak runs a global gallery with a distinctly European footprint. He's known for his several Paris spaces, and even opened recently in London. But he began in Salzburg, Austria. I recently spent some time with him, where he discussed his very personal view of how to run a global gallery. Tadeus, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Wow, great pleasure. You originally started in Salzburg. Um, yes, this is more than 30 years ago. I'm Austrian and I started my small gallery there in 1983. It feels a very long time ago, yeah. And is that because Salzburg, because of the music festival, is a cultural center? Well, Salzburg is a cultural center. But, you know, when I went back to Austria, there was only Vienna or Salzburg. And Kokoschka at the time has founded this um, academy in Salzburg and um, was talking about a free academy, very similar to what Boyce had always uh, said in, in Düsseldorf. So for me, it had this very open-minded feeling for a place, which actually it was not. It was It's a rather conservative place, and um, it's a very wealthy part of Austria. It has some great collectors, but of course I didn't know anyone um, back then. Um, and it was a bit, uh, a bit out of a misunderstanding that I ended up there in the, in the very beginning. It was more Kokoschka's vision, which I read about, and, uh, um, and, and this brought me there, yeah. But you had enough that you could establish the gallery and thrive. Well, I was very young and uh, didn't have much of an expectation. The great thing is I had the trust of a handful of artists. Uh, um, and um, back then there was no market. There was a very, very small market in, in Europe and artists didn't expect much from an exhibition. They were happy to do an exhibition and to have somebody inviting them to um, organize um, a show or taking care of them. So it was a very different environment and um, um, it was a very different way to grow also and to learn. And for me, it was a, I was very naive. I just started without any big education or experience in another gallery or museum. You know, I wanted originally to become an artist and went to Düsseldorf to study with boys, but boys had left the university or the academy back then already, and uh, um, doing this kind of internship and working with this incredible, you know, German artist was kind of eye-opening in, in, in many directions. On one side, I could really feel maybe I am not an artist, you know, maybe I didn't have this. Um, I had the urge, but not the vision. And um, on the other hand, it confirmed that I definitely wanted to be in this world. And and um, I could go back and study, which I didn't. I could try to find a job, which I did for a while in a gallery, in a museum, in an institution. And I couldn't find one. And then basically I just felt um, I will just open a gallery. And I remember I was in Berlin and I felt I would go back to Austria um, and and show some of these artists I just had met the first time. You know, Zeitgeist was this legendary exhibition in Berlin um, where the first time a total new generation of artists were confronted with artists like Boys or Warhol um, uh, 
it was groundbreaking already back then. Now it's legendary. Back then it was immediately groundbreaking and, and people were immediately drawn, you know, to um, a new interest in a new generation of artists. And and I was just part of it as a very young man, just, you know, working there and opening crates and trapping the beer, I would say. But, uh, but basically it really confirmed that I wanted to be part of this world. And when I spoke to my friends back in Austria, I felt, you know, it hasn't, it hadn't reached it there. And so, which was not really right because Vienna was already a very active place and boys used to go a lot to Vienna to uh, uh, give lectures at the academy, um, which I attended a few also. So in a way, I felt it is still an incredible chance to introduce um, a new generation of artists um, to my home place in a way. And uh, um, as I said, you know, Salzburg, I chose by mistake, but then I felt also rather inspired by, by the place, you know, being driven by classical music, but being very open to, to kind of creation. How long did it take before you decided you wanted to uh, open in Paris? Oh, it was a couple of years. There were difficult years economically, very exciting years um, in terms of a learning process. Um, you know, through boys, I was able to come to America. I wanted to meet Andy Warhol and um, I knew boys in Warhol were friends. I, I, I saw this there at the Corpius Bau in Berlin. Um, so when I left this um, kind of internship, um, the only thing I asked of boys was, you know, to kind of introduce me indirectly to Warhol. And he took a little piece of paper and said, you know, yeah, Andy, please meet this talented young man. And this was my ticket to America. So I came to America, I met Warhol and Warhol introduced me to Basquiat back then in 1982. Basquiat was still working in Soho in the basement of Anina Nose. And I met Basquiat as a very young artist uh, who I had never heard, you know, before. And um, he was very open and he, I told him that I'm going to open a gallery in Salzburg and um, he hardly knew where this is. And But he immediately trusted me and he gave me a drawing show. And so we had um, three exhibitions in his lifetime uh, in 1983, 1985, and the very last one in 1988 before he passed away. So in a way, it it my kind of naive way of approaching the art world kind of was also a chance and 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 uh, the beginning of a non-existing program of as a gallery were the collectors you were working with in switzerland and southern Ger germany and uh, austria interested in european artists in particular a certain style of art were they the sort of you know you were bringing a, a, a especially Basquiat as a very sort of american idea of an artist and and now today you have uh, alex katz who i always think of as being a very american idea of an ar ar artist uh to european collectors you know in the beginning it was very hard to uh, place any of the works by this artist but not because there was a lack of interest it was just a lack of uh, me approaching the right people. You know, I was very young and I was very unknown. I had um, very small space. and But soon I would say 
um, people started to come and to look and to be curious, and there was a certain openness, and uh, um, we were able to, you know, have the trust of a few collectors who were curious about it. And, you know, I showed a lot of German art. You know, I, you know, organized exhibitions with George Baselitz very early on. We, of course, had a very early exhibition with boys. You know, it was a wonderful experience that he trusted me when I opened my space and he gave me, um, you know, early on a drawing show. And uh, um, so it was a mixture of German art, Austrian art and American art. And in American art, you know, we brought over um, Keith Haring and Robert Maplethorpe and, um, uh, you know, we had... Very in 1988, this was all before I went to Paris. Um, a kind of two year program where we only showed American art. We had Jeff Koons, he came to Salzburg, you know, so we have these great memories back into the 80s and Peter Halley and, and Ashley Pickerton. And there was this whole generation which at the time um, uh, started to uh, be recognized and uh, and I was able to show them very early on in Salzburg. But it was less the very local collectors who followed. It was more really the uh, the reach went then into Germany and, and Vienna and, and, and Switzerland. It was less the French or less the Italians. It was kind of more the German-speaking world which I uh, reached. And uh, when I decided to go to Paris... I felt I would like, you know, many expected I would go to Vienna because this is a much more cosmopolitan place than Salzburg is very small, or to Berlin, you know, the, the wall just came down. Um, but I wanted to kind of move outside this German-speaking world because I felt um, through Salzburg I reached that world already and and uh, and that's why I decided to go to Paris or to uh, kind of, you know, open a gallery outside this comfort zone in a way. And does opening in Paris gives you access to, a, uh, you now have three spaces, but better spaces to do shows for your artists or better access to collectors that you don't know? You just said you wanted to get away from this, uh, the, this German speaking world that you knew well and would remain in, in touch with, I assume, and, and uh, make better connections to uh, French speaking or a sort of a global audience. Well, it was very different back then again, you know. I felt I was in a very small space and artists always spoke about the big metropolitan cities where they wanted to have their best work shown. So I felt to really connect better with the artist and to get the best body of work, I needed to go to a more um, cosmopolitan, big metropolitan place. I think it was more the artist who kind of... Um, ask for a bigger platform and there was only Paris or London or uh, there were not so many places where kind of we all dreamed about, you know, especially when you came to America, you spoke to American artists, they dreamt about Paris and they still do. And, and um, so Paris was an obvious, you know, Paris was one of the great hosts for artists in the 20th century um, has one of the most incredible museums and collections, you know, by far the most superior collection in Europe is in the Centre Pompidou. And all of this kind of made Paris an obvious choice. 
um, it was not an easy choice because, uh, uh, you know, in Paris there were, you know, many existing galleries and, and, uh, uh, but the kind of very curious, you know, group of, of an audience, not necessarily collectors, but what I realized early on, um, and I was very young, I was 29 when I went to Paris. So, um, uh, they, they were curious and open and they came and, you know, we had the opening show was a group show where we had basically only American artists from Jeff Koons to, uh, you know, Heim Steinbach and, and, you know, this generation again, which I had kind of grown into and had shown in, in Salzburg over a couple of years. And, um, um, and I felt they were very curious and they were really coming and, um, and there were amounts of people coming to see exhibitions, which I was never used to before. And, and this kind of enjoyed a lot in the beginning. And it was not easy to, to make this work, um, also as a business and to kind of find enough collectors in Paris or reach out of Paris. This took years and also, um, the beginning of the nineties, there was a crisis in the art world. You know, we have forgotten about it, but it was, deep and it took time to recover between 90 and 93 there were difficult years anywhere and i just opened in 90 so i kind of ran into the crisis there and and um and it was a kind of battle to to make this work and therefore it was so much more rewarding when it finally got easier and, and, and became a success. But it was years. It was, we can't even imagine this today. Today everything goes so much faster and the art market became so driving. We cannot remember this period when things got really quiet and people still looked at art but didn't consider buying. Well, that, you were just alluding to that. It, it must be even uh, more frustrating to have an audience, many people coming and seeing the show and at least being able to satisfy your artists but still not to be able to close sales and and it reminds me uh because we have a, a, a different set of questions today but we often forget that the gallery world works on two levels there's the the broadcasting getting people to see and understand uh and uh, encounter the art and then there's the very specific sales and collecting world which is actually quite small and in some ways the business has moved more towards that and away from uh, being able to host and show, or at least in, outside of Paris, there seems to be a lot of complaints about the slowdown in people going to galleries and seeing shows. But I, I'm very outspoken in this, and it's because I really think we're losing our original um, idea what the gallery is. Um, if we move our business entirely into fairs, I'm not against fairs, we're participating in many of them, um, they're necessary, but um, I also still urge this in, in, in our teams, you know, in the different galleries. Um, and I'm very happy because we still do at least three quarters of our business in the galleries. I think we mount exhibitions where we really expect collectors to come and enjoy them, to see them. When you think, you know, in the galleries, we do our utmost, you know, we think of the perfect space, the perfect light, the perfect floor, you know, to create an atmosphere. In an art fair, we accept any compromise, crappy floors, 
bad lighting, you know, one compromise after the other. And and we have to live with it because it became part of a business model which we had to embrace um, because it connects people. Um, but I always urge that collectors are not stopping going to galleries. And actually, we don't have this experience. I think collectors want to be part of a, of a special kind of experience which only an exhibition can give you. A fair can never give you this experience of kind of enter the universe of an artist, to understand an artist, to be part of it, to be really embraced by it. So I think the more the art world is uh, getting busy and being part of this circus and uh, having fairs everywhere, um, the more I think the very concentrated and serious collector is going back to the galleries because they want to experience the exhibition, because they feel then they're really part of something and they do understand the work and they meet the artist and uh, they start a dialogue with the artist or without, but with the work and the experience and the atmosphere. So I think we have to do everything um, um, to create this atmosphere, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we have like, Please. I was just going to say, I can't imagine some, you know, art advisor pouring over, you know, pictures of a, an art fair booth from five or eight years ago to say to their client, see, this is the work that was hanging on, you know, the third wall or was in the back room at Art Basel in uh, 2005. Uh, you know, the way they do with here's the exhibition catalog and, and this is the work I think you should uh, be interested in because it was, you know, hung this way and it, you know, it fitted in uh, with the rest of the works uh, that way. And, and, it, and it does sort of seem like even with the emphasis on Instagram and other ways of showing images, we're taking the works somewhat out of context. Now, that sort of leads to the question of every collector ultimately takes a work home and installs it. And it's in a very different context from the, the show that you uh, uh, put it into. Is that something you have to work with the collectors uh, in understanding, you know, the kind of work that they select, what they want to do with it, where, you know, where, what home it's going to be in. You know, we feel a very strong responsibility to do with the artists. So we have to protect the work and we have to make sure that they are finding the right places. So that's the reason, you know, we, Sometimes say we don't necessarily want to sell art, only want to place them. Um, it sounds a bit arrogant, but it isn't. It's just a protection to make sure that the artist feels, you know, the artist trusts his work to the gallery to make sure they find the right places. So the right place is first institutions, museums and and foundations and um, uh, and then collectors who kind of take this within their own private surroundings and they create a different context, a very personal one. And, um, of course, they have all the freedom to do so. Um, what we try to avoid is pure speculation so that the work doesn't end up with just speculators who keep the work basically to sell it or to resell it. Um, we are happy to help a collector to create the right context, but... Uh, we also don't want to take, you know, this piece of freedom away because I think a collector should have, you know, this is a very creative part to create a collection and to 
create an environment where art can really uh, find its place. And uh, if a collector asks you for advice, we're happy to give it, but we're not necessarily pushing for it. Um, but we usually try to uh, trust the collector who acquires a piece of art that he's able to, uh, you know, bring it into the right context and deal with it in a in a respectful way. Yeah. And you've recently opened um, an office, not a gallery, in Asia, mm-hmm. where you uh, you sell work and work with collectors, I assume. But you don't have a an exhibition space. Is that, is that correct? Not yet. We are looking into uh, into different areas at the moment. Um, it is an incredibly exciting, very fast growing area where we have been active for many years. And I do remember very well traveling in Asia, in mainland China, or in um, Korea. You know, ten years ago and. Um, collectors or even institutions hardly would know anything about the German artist, if it's George Baselitz or Anselm Kiefer artist we represent. Um, and this has changed dramatically. I think, you know, I've seen in these last 10 years um, Asia opening up in an incredible, curious way and um, collectors being very informed today, uh, being very active, making decisions and uh, being really a very exciting part of the art world. And uh, um, we have put a lot of our uh, energy there. You know, I have a great team there, I have to say. Um, They're young, they're very ambitious, they travel. They, you know, sometimes when when, um, I join them in, you know, China, um, Asia is not only China, it is like all this different, it's Taiwan. And and one of the things I want to ask you about is because I keep hearing people talk about um, their trip to Korea, and you get the sense that actually, even though a number of galleries and um, uh, auction houses in Japan and in Korea have moved to Hong Kong, the Korean market seems to be one where there's a great deal of activity. There are a lot of uh, collectors. It's a very wealthy uh, country, uh, and especially so the last sort of 10 or 15 years, it would make sense that you'd have a lot of buyers there. And yes, I, I also hear, I mean, at the Taiwanese market is not exactly new, but it seems to have gotten some sort of uh, shot in the arm or a new taste for European art in the last uh, a couple of years. Um, definitely. I think Korea is maybe the most advanced because they were there almost, you know, Japan was very active, but then it really almost closed down and now it's opening up again. And um, it's maybe the most sophisticated, you know, surrounding for art because there's this deep respect and curiosity. And um, um, Korea, again, you know, we knew collectors there 20 years ago who came to Paris and who are very informed and this for a long time. Uh, so this is a kind of advantage for them because they had really grown into the art world in a very natural way. They kind of uh, had a long enough period of time to learn and to get experienced because this learning phase is not something you can cut short necessarily. You 
it's, it's, it has to do with experience. You cannot just open a book and say, so I want to learn about contemporary art. I want to learn how to become a collector, how to open a foundation, how to deal with artists. It's, you can learn about it. People can tell you about it. You can read about it. But at the end of the day, it's also experience. a story of experience. And I think Korea had this experience. And uh, I remember it was definitely, the, you know, Hong Kong always. But Hong Kong is... Is also a place where it is very easy to establish a business. It's a tax-free zone. It makes things easy, but it's not necessarily uh, a place where you have like uh, the biggest amount of collectors or institutions. Actually, the first institution for contemporary art is opening now. Um, Korea always had a very well-functioning contemporary art museum. It had private museums which opened more than 10 years ago. So Korea was really kind of ahead of its time in, in the whole Asian market. And, and it has already a second generation of collectors, which you can't say of, of mainland China. And this is exciting. So in a way you feel um, there are different areas. Some of them are very new where you feel... They have to still make their mistakes to reach the next step. And some have already learned and you can really speak on an incredible, um, uh, sophisticated level. And um, um, and to be part of it, I think this is exciting. Yeah. I, I assume that you you have sort of a back and forth about whom you, you bring to Asia, either for a museum show or, or, or sales or any other format, that, that you'll have demand for certain of your artists and that might bring you to want to, you know, bring one of your other artists uh, in, in response. I, I, I know well, that you've had, like, you know, Kiefer and, and, and boys, people, you know, have wanted to put on events and that sort of brings uh, uh, you to them. But I think you have to create the demand. You cannot expect the demand, you know. Um, when we started organizing exhibitions with institutions, you know, these artists were absolutely not far from household names, hardly known in the art world. I remember we organized a Baselitz exhibition in Seoul at the museum, at the National Museum, um, more than 10 years ago. And it was the beginning of an excitement. People recognized him as one of the great German artists. But it was very at the beginning. And people came, they looked, they were curious, but they wouldn't be yet ready to uh, integrate this into their collection. I remember very well when, we, when I first traveled with Gilbert and George um, in China and Asia. This was 15 years, 18 years ago. And people were incredibly curious about these two British artists but uh, it was far away from, from, you know, that museums or collectors would follow their work. Um, Boyce was definitely an artist who was not understood. People were rather confused by, uh, you know, what this artist stands for. Um, there was a curiosity always there. Um, you know, it, there's always kind of mix between curiosity and irritation and and um uh, i remember very well that it it was hard work you know to um bring these artists to to projects and to convince a museum to mount an exhibition and this has changed dramatically today the doors are more than open and and uh, we have more invitations for 
certain artists to do projects than we can even uh, do. So, so do you then, uh, you know, like any, uh, uh, you know, one of the reasons a, a gallery is, gets to a certain size is exactly that. You're going to get invitations for artists that are already committed and the great opportunities for some of your other artists whom they may not know, but you mm -hmm. can set you you can exactly. vouch for and yeah. say you know you would be very happy with exactly. uh, an Amy Knobel uh, you know yes, exactly. uh, show or so, something yes. that they might not have th thought of and, yeah. and, and that's what I think what I meant by the byplay the back and yeah. forth of yeah. you know these things don't happen on uh, yeah. immediately we can't uh, the artist can't do everything so it gives you the opportunity it, it sounds like that period in in Paris from ninety to the the mid nineties where you kept at it and sort of prepared you for uh, going to Asia and other places where you just have to keep at it and know yeah. that you can yeah. sort of keep things going. Yeah. yeah. And, and how much is, uh, you know, over the years you've built up a, a fairly strong collector base. And I, I often think that one of the big things that's changed with the art market is that a, a successful gallery now is as much about the collectors they have the trust of the collectors, the, you know, the, the, the people they know where they can place work as it is about the artists who's, you know, they're mm. representing. In no, I disagree. I think it's all about the artist. I think if you have the right artist and the artists give you their best work, this is what makes a gallery strong because the collectors, they will come wherever they find the best art to buy. And, um, of course, it's incredibly important, the relationship to the collectors, and we are kind of nurturing it, and we, you know, we are cultivating it, and we're doing a lot, um, you know, to make them happy, to make them informed, to make them part of an exciting uh, environment. And, um, uh, but what we really concern the most is our relationship to the artist, because this made the gallery strong and um and this kind of makes the gallery grow so um you know the team also you know we we are like 120 people now and i think the biggest part is really concentrating on content so our content department which is art historians authors catalog production um artist minding as we call it you know taking care of you know, we represent 60 artists and several estates. Um, uh, this is actually our main activity. It's definitely not as big in, in numbers and, and in activity than, I would say, production. Do, so do you think that that is sort of um, the one the way you can divide galleries uh, in, a, in the broadest way, the galleries who are focused on the artists? If push comes to shove, have to make a choice between the artists and collectors. There are some galleries that are more, more interested in the collectors and some more interested in the artists because that's the way it, it looks from the outside is that, that there are some galleries that have become quite successful uh, as much about having uh, the authority and being able to place work and less about uh, uh, worrying about the individual uh, artists. And that sort of goes to, I know you've written about this recently, the sort of um, the food chain of being able to have smaller galleries that are nurturing artists and uh, developing them. Yeah, well, I always 
believe, and this is what we discuss within the team also, that you know the only reason that we are here and that we are successful is because we have the trust of the artists. You know, if we lose the trust of the artists, we are not here. Then we, are, well, we might be still here, but we might be pure art dealers, and which is exciting also to find a great piece of art and to find somebody who appreciates it. And um, and we, of course, doing this also. You know, we are kind of doing a part of a secondary market where we find great pieces of art, and it's a wonderful experience. You know, I. Um, experience recently to find, you know, an incredible early combine painting of Robert Rauschenberg. And this was a great moment or when I was able to place the bottle rack of Marcel Duchamp into one of the great institutions in America. It was a great moment, you know, it was... Um, um, uh, but we always felt also we wanted to create a context for it, you know. You know, when, when I knew I, I would be able to place maybe the most important Duchamp on the markets in 30 years in the bottle rack from Robert Rauschenberg's original collection, I didn't want only to place the work like an art dealer. I really wanted Who's to create. I wanted to create an environment. We wanted to create an exhibition. So we sat down in our team and I said, "Let's make this exciting. Let's make an exhibition around it, where this is the centerpiece." And then we get works from museums as loans. We just try an exhibition around it. So I think you know, I just love to create a context and I love to make things in a way that it's not only placing a piece from A to B and um, and working with artists is the most creative part of it because you work directly with the studio, you go to the studio, you see the work being created and then you try to find the context and you, you know, make an exhibition, you find an author uh, to write about it, you, um, you know, all this work, I think it's an incredible creative process, which I would never want to miss. And I think this is what drives me. And I think, and this drives the team also, I think, you know, when we discuss it in our different, you know, smaller groups working on different exhibitions, we do maybe between 30 and 40 exhibitions per year in our five galleries in Europe. Um, so there is a, a, a strong activity and each of these has its own little cell where there are people working on the catalog, on the author, working with the studio, being in this constant contact and at the end and there is a great opening. Yeah. Uh, so imagine um, in Salzburg you did not imagine having the kinds of spaces that you have now and, and creating the kinds of environments you're 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 talking about uh, uh, when you started i'm sure it was you know a room with four walls and how much could you get on the the walls uh, there it, if you can sort of take that transit and then go forward from here since the world has changed so so much and you don't necessarily have to do a gallery the way you've done them before. Is there sort of an ideal way uh, you imagine doing something next that you're not doing now? You know, we have these very big space. You have a, a, quite a large space outside of. Uh, well, we operate, you know, today more than hundred thousand square feet. You know, in our five spaces. So, and uh, our large space in Paris is, you know. Um, you know, it's almost 50,000 square feet, so it has several buildings. So, of course, this was a dream become true. You just, you know, I felt, you know, and I love my original space, which I founded in 1990. It was one floor. We almost occupied the entire building there also now. Uh, so we were growing, but then we always felt we are coming to the end of our capacity. And if we had to 
always stop the vision of the artist by because saying this is too heavy. When I one day I remember Anthony Gormley gave us a show in Paris and he created this one incredible centerpiece of a sculpture. And then we realized we cannot move it into the space because it's four tons and the building would kind of break down and Anselm Kiefer would uh, do the most incredible large painting and then we realized we can't get it through the door. So then I said, my God, we have to look, we have to think bigger. We have to, we cannot stop our artists in their vision and to constantly think what can we show and how we move it in or out. And, okay. and that's the reason we kind of... Um, uh, pushed me to think of a large space and I remember very well when I walked into this was a former uh, you know uh, factory for climate systems and um, built in brick in 1905 and had these wonderful walls it was huge capacity so today there is like any weight it can carry we can drive the trucks into the building you know it just a you know, can open the total different scale. On the other hand, it also is a challenge for the artist because certain artists, when they go there and see the space, they feel they will never be able to do a show with new work because it, it needs really quite also a production to fill the spaces. So this is a challenge. So we have enough artists who can do it, but uh, and then we have great ideas and we have wonderful uh, curators who who created incredible exhibitions for this space and and it's a big success. It's in the outskirts of Paris. It's not in the center because so you have to. It's it it still has a kind of metro connection because I still believe very strongly into audience, not only in people who come with their chauffeur-driven cars, but only have can take the metro, get, go go there and experience art. So and and I'm. Incredibly happy when I hear the numbers. We, we opened a little coffee shop, so because to create this environment, it's a little village almost, you know, with several buildings, and 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 it's an experience, and I really want to provide this experience. And um, um, well, and see, it, that's that's part of what I'm asking, only because the appetite for art seems to have gotten so big, and we've done the the one thing that where the world sort of arrives in these places, whether, you know, it used to be Paris and, and it still is Paris, but it then became these fairs and other events or other um, locations that were, and, but, but even that still is hard for a lot of people to get or to see uh, a lot of art um, uh, because they might just never get themselves to uh, New York or, uh, and there are uh, big cities that seem to have, real appetites. And, and I, I'm not sort of suggesting that there should be a traveling uh, a road show or, you know, a sort of carnival that, that you all, but it, it makes me wonder, you know, it, it, you know, maybe the, the response is we've done all this, we've got these huge spaces. Now the next thing I would like to do is something, you know, intimate or, or something. I was just curious whether there's some other thing that, that you, you, no, but- you want to do that you haven't done yet, or that the artists want that, you know, you know if you're kind of, in this gross concept, of course, you can't really stop because I still believe very much in brick and mortar. I believe in the actual space. So I, I'm i not a fan of the virtual space. Uh, maybe I'm too old for it. Maybe there's a new generation who can develop a new way of enjoying art in a kind of virtual reality. Uh, I'm definitely not part of this yet, maybe. Um, 
I like social media. I like our Instagram account and to have more than 100,000 people following and, you know, discussing art on this platform. But it's not what I feel I am. I still believe in the actual gallery space. So the only way to succeed is to open more spaces, I guess, and, you know, to go where the audience is. And I don't have a better idea. I'm sorry, you know. I have, like, kind of very old-fashioned idea of... of the gallery space in its physical form and uh, and you can add, you know, uh, and there is still a huge fantasy where you can go. And um, No, no, I, I actually, uh, to me, you know, we, we talk all the time now about how people have a preference for experiences over things. And we also seem to, you know, uh, forget that, uh, standing in front of a work of art is an experience. Uh, and in fact, one of the great frustrations with, with art is um, if you don't own the work, it is very hard to re-experience it uh, often to the point where something happens that didn't happen the moment you happen to uh, have uh, arrived at the gallery or the museum stand in front of it for however long and and leave uh and i don't think virtual is an answer to 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 all of that that but it is it's sort of the scale has become an interesting problem all all its own uh i don't think there's an easy answer that's actually why i asked the question not not that it's like oh we should you know all, all uh, spend all our time on instagram but there's certainly de both demand from the people who want to see from you know the long lines we often see at um museums and other shows, uh, and I presume from the artists who want to create more environments, you know, have some idea, some challenge, something that they, they want to work out. Exactly. I don't think I will reinvent the format. I think we have to make the format better and to think how can we create the ideal space and the ideal environment where, first of all, the artist feels well, and feels that this is the right place to show his art and it kind of makes this experience possible. And then you think of the audience. You think of your clients, of course, so you want to make create an experience where the client feels well and feels invited to also acquire something for their collection, but also where there is an audience in the sheer numbers who just go there and experience and and. And I have to say, it gives me really the utmost pleasure when I see a full gallery. And 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 I have to say, Paris, but also London. Uh, now London is 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 an experience of only one year. You know, we opened our London space uh, last year in April, so we are just one year old. So I can more speak about Paris because of the mm -hmm. different spaces and our activity in Paris is so wide. And you know, the French are an incredibly thankful audience. You know, they are a wonderful audience because they just come and they're part of an environment and uh, and not talking about America. America is one of the most open and um, very thankful audiences existing, you know, I think, you know, very curious, very... But, but I, I feel like uh, in, in the U.S. you have to break down barriers, that there are people who, who are very interested in art, but there, there are... Um, a fair number of barriers that, you know, going to galleries is less, uh, 
uh, interesting to them than to go to uh, a big museum event or uh, some other uh, thing that they've you know uh, feel that they have greater access to. We have you know the the, the art prize in Grand Rapids. We have all of these th- things that are beginning to ha- to happen, and and that's part of it. like how do you feed those events? You know this Burning Man event in the middle of the desert is self described as an art event, but you're not bringing you're planning a year and a, a, ahead for an artist to do some major installation uh there so there's a bit of a gap between what a lot of people are interested in as art and what necessarily some of the artists are are sort of creating in in terms of their venues uh, uh for people to reach i think everywhere the museum is the most elite and the most trusted institution so audience will always urge to go to museums because it's a um, confirmed way of looking at art. You know, if it's in a museum, then many people must have... Art. must be art and must be important art. And um, it's almost a confirmed experience, which is guaranteed. Uh, the gallery is still the place where things are not yet decided. And so you need to be more open and uh, more also fresh in your mind to be able to you know, get yourself into a situation where you can be irritated and where you're not able to understand it. And um, as much as galleries try to provide explanation and help to, you know, really understand art on the level which I think it should be understood or um, it is less of a confirmation. And I think this is why museums always would be in the lead and should be in the lead. I also believe that all the great art at the end ends up in museums, you know, so uh, it, it belongs there. And and therefore, when people say today that, you know, we have too many foundations opening, and I say never enough, and not because I want just to sell to them and fill them up, but because I really believe in it. I think art has its right of the public domain and... Uh, foundations provided, you know, and museums definitely. And when I see the urge in Asia now who are building these museums or in the Arab world, you know, I think, you know, when I went to the opening of the Louvre Abu Dhabi and I was involved in it for many years because of the Louvre being a French institution and the Louvre not only being, you know, um, uh, a museum for very classical art because they invited also the Centre Pompidou and as we all know the Guggenheim is very active in this area and I remember I went with Thomas Krenz then the director of the Guggenheim Museum in a helicopter and we were flying over sand there was nothing there was not one building you couldn't imagine there would ever be a building today we have one of the most beautiful new museums in the world open to a huge success it was very criticized in the beginning in France also, yeah. in a very controversial, and people left their positions at the time, and there was a huge public debate about it. Um, and today it's uh, one of the most successful museums where people are lining up every single day to visit this and to get this experience. And you can repeat this in so many different parts of the world, uh, in Asia, in Latin America, uh, besides Europe and America, which are the classical ideas of the museum. Do you think that that model, uh, the sort of hybrid state institution model, 
which is different from, you know, most museums or at least collections are some individual with a passion who says, no, 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 this is art. And, you know, uh, the great impressionist co collection. So, you know, the, the institution was like, we don't want that, that stuff. But there was someone who said, no, no this is, is worth uh, preserving. And now we have the Barnes collection uh, uh, because of it. Do you, do you think we've gotten to a different place where it's not so much reliant on individuals? I mean, obviously, no. a lot of these private museums are essentially it's... individuals. It's still entirely the private individual. It's, I find it's still driven by individuals anywhere, anywhere. I think if the, if the ruling family of Qatar would not have a real interest, part of this family has a, had a real interest in art, they would not be where they are today because there are certain countries you don't have it and in certain you have it. So it's the individuals, even on a government level. Um, it's the vision of certain politicians in certain countries who drives things and make them possible. Um, uh, and then, of course, you have all these private individuals who open their foundations and museums. In Asia, it is 90% the private individuals who open their spaces, especially in China. The, the government does very little, you know, to provide the space. You have like one museum in yeah. Beijing and one in Shanghai, and the rest is basically, you know, and it's all driven by private people. The same thing in Korea, you know, if, if the Lee family, who, you know, are behind Samsung, would have not really had a very strong interest in art, and at a time when this, in this part of the world, was not something people would expect, this museum was one of the first one. It was, and you can repeat this anywhere in the world, you know, and in Europe, it, it's still driven with private individuals. You know, the most successful new museum in France is the Louis Vuitton Foundation, built by Frank Gehry, having more than a million visitors a year. It's a private business. It's one man's vision, which kind of, and the next museum, which will open next year, it's another French man's vision, which will make this possible. So, I entirely believe in the in in the drive of the individual. Well, that is probably the best place to end it today. Thank you for spending the time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 